Amen. You can be seated. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Nehemiah, and you may, understand, you may wonder where that is. Where is that? If you go to the middle of your Bible, you hit the Psalms, hang a left, all right? And if you get to 2 Chronicles, you've gone too far. If, you've gone, if you hit 1 Chronicles, you've gone way too far. Go back right. And ne- Nehemiah is a book that kind of lands right about here in biblical history. And if we think about the Bible from the perspective of when Adam and Eve fell, at that moment, well, you could actually go back before creation and say that God was working out his plan of redemption, but it's very visible after the garden. He starts with Abraham and decides that he is going to bless the world through a family, and that family is called Israel. And he begins his nation. We've got Moses who helped God's people escape Egypt, slavery. They got into the deserts and then they established the nation of Israel and they built a temple. And then there was that guy named David and his son named Solomon. And they built this beautiful temple that was full of glory. And then tragedy hit, and Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come in and take everybody captive and destroy the whole temple. And then there's the story of King Cyrus, the great, who came and took over uh, all the Babylonian empire. And the Persians now ruled the world. And one of their rules was to send people back to their home state to establish it and be strong underneath you know, King Cyrus's rule. So they sent the Israelites out of slavery back to Jerusalem. They built a second temple, but it was less glorious than the first. Go read about it. But they were in disarray because the walls were torn down, the gates were burned, and it was a very precarious place in the world for God's people. And word came to Nehemiah at that time what was going on, and he was in a very powerful position as the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And this is the story of Nehemiah. And the reason we're studying it, we said this last week, is it's a picture of leadership. And what we're trying to invest in you this fall is we want you to mature as a leader. And the reason we want you to mature as a leader is because leaders make a difference, especially mature leaders make a profound difference in the city, um, in this country, in the world, in your home. But most importantly, it makes a profound difference when you bring mature leadership to yourself. So last week when we started the book, we realized that Nehemiah was displaying for us that there are two lives that we create. One is vertical and one is horizontal. But when we, when we give attention to the vertical life, it allows us to foster something profoundly deep. It changes us and gives us power to enter into the horizontal life. Okay, you with me? I know what you're thinking. Wow, you just gave us the whole sermon last week in like 30 seconds. Why didn't you do that last week? Okay. So uh, we are gonna read because the book starts. Renee, are you my reader today? Wow, she does it all. Thank you. Uh, Renee is going to read for us in Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah catches the news. He's sad. He weeps. He mourns. He fasts. And he prays. And we're going to read his prayer. Okay? So, Renee, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4? Yes, through 11. Uh, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Then I said... Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, 
and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you, give, you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Lord, bless us with your word and teach us, Holy Spirit. Uh, I pray that you would... Um, not be limited by our cynicism, our doubt, or how little sleep we got last night, but that, Lord, you would move and meet us. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, here's a really interesting prayer that Nehemiah writes in this book, and it's a prayer of, God, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. God, I'm not awesome, I'm a sinner. Uh, God, you're awesome, you're awesome, and you've made promises. Now I wanna claim those promises, and here I'm asking you to give me favor in the eyes of the king. Um, and this prayer, actually, um, historically speaking, if we look at this, you would think that this was the prayer that Nehemiah prayed as soon as his heart got broken when he heard the gates were torn down and the people were in peril. But we actually find pieces of this prayer all over the Bible. We find some of it in Leviticus, some of it is in Deuteronomy. And we realize what Nehemiah has done is in writing this book, he's given us kind of a picture of prayer but not his literal prayer. In other words, what he's done is, in fact, if you look at the dates of when he heard and when he actually spoke to the king, there's a four-month difference there. So for four months, Nehemiah was engaging in this prayer life that was full of grief and mourning and supplication and thankfulness and worship and at times fasting. So he's giving us a little picture of what that time looked like. Are you with me? So what I want to talk about is not so much that prayer I wanna stop and just talk about prayer. Let's just talk about it. Because there's nothing more religious than prayer, right? Like there's not a religion in the world that doesn't have some form of prayer. And there is nothing that produces more shame and gives preachers more power over your life than to talk about prayer. It's so true, like the church has manipulated you for years. The church has used this as, well, you know, you don't pray as much as the people up here. It kind of uses it to separate us and fill us full of shame because if there's one thing that we all have in common when it comes to prayer is none of us think that we pray enough. You with me? All right, did I just touch a shame button and everybody's now silent? <laughs> don't talk about it. It's true, listen to Richard Foster. He wrote the book, The Celebration of Discipline. If you've never read that book, it's really beautiful. And listen to what he says about prayer. All who have walked with God have viewed prayer as the main business of their lives. If that doesn't produce shame in your life, like, I mean, think about it. If my life is not all about prayer, then am I really walking with God? You read that kind of stuff, and it's easy. It's easy to feel shame about prayer. It's easy to feel like that we don't pray enough. 
And it's easy for us to start seeing prayer as this thing that's a duty. It's this thing that really, I never do it right. I'm not good at it. It's something that I gotta do. It's something that's hard. And truth be known, if, if I really do it the way that I think God wants me to do it, it's so boring. It's so hard to stay in it. And a lot of times when I really commit myself to it, I just fall asleep. I was talking about me. Yeah. So here's what I want to do is I just want to go to the basics. Okay. And this is what we're going to do. That prayer today is ADD because I had to make it relate to me. All right. And I am ADD. I have been, ask my mom since I was born. And let me just say one thing uh, before we get into the ADD of prayer. And it's this. You've got to understand that when Jesus went to the cross and when he rose again from the dead, he did something beyond just save us from our sins and give us a place in all of eternity. He also opened up the throne room of God to us. You got to grasp that. That the throne room of God is open to you. And in Hebrews chapter four, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. He opened it up so much that we have so much confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That the throne room of God is full of mercy for you and is full of grace for you. And if you think grace is just to cover your sins, then you don't understand the power of grace in living out your life. Like there is power in that place. And we have confidence to enter into it, not because we're good enough, it's because Jesus was good enough. In fact, the only thing that gives me confidence to enter into the throne room of God, which is now open to me, is the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's it. That's it. Do you know that you could be committing the most heinous sin, and in the middle of that sin, the throne room of God is open to you? Not because you're good enough or you're bad enough or that you've prayed enough or you've never prayed. It is open for one reason and one reason over. Christ went to the cross for you. And when he died, he said, it is finished. And when he rose again, we rose with him to newness of life. That's what it means to be a believer. Thank you. Appreciate that. Why is that so important? Because it eliminates shame from, from prayer. In fact... I love what Richard Halverson said, and Richard uh, was the, he was the chaplain to the U.S. Senate, and he makes this point, when the disciples interrupted Jesus while he was praying, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, not Lord, teach us how to pray. The challenge of praying is to start praying. I know, here's the crazy thing, and I, I'm going to say something that I'm, I would just love for us to debate about it because I'm not sure I'm really confident in my stance on this. So come and attack me. That'll help me, all right? Is this, is that love always precedes discipline. I know always is such a dirty word, isn't it? But just stay with me that love, love exists and discipline follows love by way of giving a structure and a frame to the very thing that I love. Like, for example, think about <clears throat> if you're a parent here, do you love your child? Well, some of you may say not today. I, I don't know what. Yeah, okay, but let's say generally you're a good person and you love your kids, all right? So you love your kids, but you work 100 hours a week and you never see them. Like, you love them, but there's no structure in your life that's allowing you to express this love in the fullness and the depths in which you experience it. 
So discipline is, I'm only going to work 40 hours a week. I'm going to be there every morning when they get up. I'm going to make them pancakes. I'm going to pick them up from school every day. At night, I'm going to tell them stories and make sure that every night I'm the last person that kisses their face before they go to bed. And I'm going to look at them and go, you are worthy of belonging and you are worthy of being loved. You're going to hear that from my mouth every day for the rest of your life. See, what they did was now, yes, I love my child, but now I'm putting we're gonna call it a trellis. I'm gonna put a rhythm to my life, a discipline to my life that's gonna allow me to express that love in a richer and more profound way. So when love is there and then I bring discipline to the love, they kiss together and it makes this life of flourishing fruit. Did y'all track that? Okay, all right, so we're in that and I'm gonna tell you the reason that we often don't pray is because we don't know anything about that love. I was with a good friend of mine the other day. And he, I was like, so what's going on in your life? And he started smiling like really big. And he goes, I found her. I said, really? And he is in love. And I said, so uh, how do you know? He goes, man, we went to dinner the other night. And he said, they had to kick us out. He said, we shut that place down. And then we sat out in the park on a bench and we were out there for another three hours, right? That's love. I've been married for 34 years. That doesn't happen in our lives, all right? (laughs) But we have a trellis, all right? A trellis that expresses the love. So we have date night. (laughs) We have times where we have to talk about things. We have rules about when we're not talking about things because we're putting trellis around the love. So let's talk about the love. Because discipline without the love is pain. And discipline without the love makes us self-righteous. It makes us arrogant, unbearable people to be around. Because it gives us such grounds to judge everybody else. So, ADD. The first, A, is answer, all right? And you go, well, of course, we pray in God's answers, you know. Thank God for unanswered prayers. Isn't that a song? And that's not what I'm talking about at all. That's what I'm talking about is that when you pray, God is going to answer prayers. Because when I start to think that way, then what I start to think of is that prayer is heavenly currency. It's the stuff I stuff my pockets with so when I go into the gift shop of heaven, then I use my prayers now and I walk away with a t-shirt that says, you know, I belong with him or fish are all swimming in one way and I'm swimming in the other, you know? That prayers now becomes the way that I get God to give me what I want. And if I want to get really serious about getting God's attention, I'll fast with prayer. Ooh, wow. If I fast and pray, I know God's going to stop and go to the angels. Come over here. Check it out. They are serious. Like, we've got to answer what they're saying. Like, we've got to move, right? We are bound by their prayers. That's not true at all. In fact, what I want to help you see is if you go to Revelation chapter 3, Uh, The angel of the Lord, Jesus, is talking to the churches in the first part of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 3, he's talking to the church in Laodicea. Did I say it was the church in Laodicea? It was the church in Laodicea. And And Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, who's he talking to? 
the church, and opens the door, who's he talking to? I will come in, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. For the longest time, I heard that as the lost world that does not know Jesus. He stands at the door and knocks. No, he's doing that to the church, to you. In fact, prayer is not me getting God's attention. Prayer is me responding to the knock of Jesus that's trying to get my attention. Prayer is not God answering my prayer. Prayer starts with me answering the knock of Christ on my very life. God always initiates prayer. God always initiates our spiritual life. God is always in pursuit of us. It, boy, I, this is kind of a mind blower. And I'll tell you why. Because have, have any of y'all been in the church more than a year? Like, did any of y'all grow up in the church? You want to know how I grew up in the church thinking this, that around every corner there's a devil. Like, he's always tempting me. Like, Satan is always after me. Spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. But my walk with God was, I got to spend time with him in quiet time. I got to go and spend time in prayer. It was like God was that elusive person in college that you wanted to date, but you could never get a date with. But Satan was that person you didn't want to date that you couldn't shake. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're always there. It's like, he had more interest in me in the Holy Spirit. And I start to believe that Satan is immensely interested in me. And God, not so much so. If I approach prayer thinking that God's in heaven like this, going, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Boy, it's going to sabotage my spiritual life. Unless I begin to understand that God is the one that's going... Come on, I'm here. Hey, let me in. Let me just stop for a second. Do you know that, that in, in Exodus chapter 3, there's a story of God coming to Moses and the burning bush. Have you ever read this story? And he's sending Moses back to Egypt to use him to get his people, you know, out of slavery into the new Jerusalem. And uh, if you've never read the story, it's fascinating because Moses is so much like us because God came to him and said, Moses, you shall go back to Egypt. And Moses' response was, uh, yeah, not doing that. <clears throat> I know you're God. I got a lot of sheep. I got things to do. I'm busy. In fact, he looks at God and says, who am I? Like, I left Egypt in shame. Do you not know I'm, I'm a refugee? Do you not know that I don't speak well in public? Do you not know that I'm a flawed instrument? In fact, if you send me back to Egypt, the first thing they're gonna do is arrest me, throw me in prison and kill me. Who am I? Listen to how God answers the question, who am I? Verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And listen to what God said. I mean, seriously. If this not, is not a mind ninja move, I don't know what is. This is how God answered Moses' question, who am I? God said, I'll tell you who you are. I will be with you. Boy, do you grasp that? God says, let me tell you what your identity is. I'm with you. That's what the knocking is. Do you know who you are? I'm with you. 
So let's just stop right now because if you don't get that point, I'm, everything I'm going to say now is just a bore. I mean, it really is. It's kind of a bore to me anyway. I'm sorry. But do you hear the knocking? Is there a part of you right now that longs to walk intimately with God? Is there a part of you now that has an ache to say, I want to know that place where the Holy Spirit is crying out, Abba, Father. I I want my life to be marked by a supernatural presence of God that has power to it. I want to hear the words of my Father that whispers in my ears, I am his beloved. Like, is there a part of you that's hearing the knocking right now? Okay, let's stop. you hear it because if you do the next place is dangerous it's a dance I did my nephew's wedding a couple of weeks ago and um, so it was the typical wedding you know they did the vows I did some jokes everybody laughed you know they got married and then, uh, you know, everybody does their toes. They're like, you're the best people in the world. You're the best couple. Like, we've all failed, but you won't fail. That kind of stuff, you know. Uh, and, and then, you know, they have the, the you know, the, the, dan- the significant dances where they're dancing all respectfully and slow. And then it started. You know what I'm talking about? And this is where everybody's looking around going, oh, yeah, it's our turn. And everybody, you see everybody moving in their seats, and they're just moving. I'm looking at Renee going, mm-hmm, and she's going, mm-hmm, like that. And yet everybody's frozen. You know why? What are we waiting on? We're waiting for that one person that's had a little bit too much to drink that doesn't mind going out and getting it all started. Because as soon as they get it moving, then we who do not know how to dance, let's just confess it, we, we are lousy at dancing. Some of you are great at dancing, we hate you. But some of us, <laughs> most of us are lousy and we need the pack, we, we need the group to hide our insufficiencies, right? We need somebody else on the edges that look like they know what they're doing so that those of us that don't know what we're doing can get in the middle and hide and have fun. That's what this is. Because look what the scriptures teach us. In Romans chapter eight, it says in verse 26, in the same way the spirit helps us with our weaknesses. You don't know how to dance, he does. So we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit, when you open that door, you answer it and you walk in, the Holy Spirit is already groaning for you. He is praying for you because he knows your spirit and he knows the spirit of God and he is bringing them together. (laughs) It gets better. Later in that chapter, it says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall troubles or hardships or persecutions or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? No, because he is not only for you, he is at the throne interceding for you. So when we open up the door, the dance has already started. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. 
Jesus is praying for you? So there's a lot of theologians that have said, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why are they praying to the Father? They're a part of the Trinity. They're one, yet separate. There, there is a lot of New Testament text that talks about how Jesus is praying for us. He's our advocate, but he's also praying for us in our battle against evil. But there's also, uh, there's real fruit when we understand the scriptures they're talking about. We're like a children's choir. If you've ever been here when the kids all come in and Jasmine is standing right there, she's our Kid Town director. If you'll watch Jasmine when the kids start singing, She's not just singing, but her mouth is making the words like really big, like praise the Lord. <laughs> like, and why is she doing that? Because all the kids are watching her and they're following how she's praying. That's what this is talking about. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us on our own. He actually is praying for us. That gives us great comfort. And then finally, we got to say this, that that we have to think about that Wait. dynamite <laughs> I was trying to put an O here dynamite if you're from the 80s it's powerful in James chapter 5 it says if anyone among you is in trouble let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayers offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, um, all I can tell you is that prayer and God's holy design, he has given it power and he's given it effectiveness. He has made it like dynamite. Deutimus is actually the Greek word for dynamite that we get, but it means power in the Greek. It's powerful. In fact, I can tell you this, that, that prayer is not fully understanding that, but it's experiencing that. When we got on the plane to go to my nephew's wedding, I can tell you I know very little about aerodynamics. I know very little, if nothing, about you know, flying a plane. I've seen movies. I mean, it has a stick or something, right? Like, I know that much. But I can tell you this, that I have great confidence when I get into that plane that it has the power to soar to 30,000 feet and then bring me back home safely. And power is not me having power. Power is me having faith in the source of power which the power of your prayers is not you, the power of your prayers is the Lord. And he promises that his power is good for you. Okay. So here's the challenge. Love and discipline kiss. That we put a trellis for that which we love. And we're all doing it. We all have shaped a life and our life is living based on what we're valuing. But in our backyard, over our entryway in our backyard, we have this archway and we have a couple of plants at Jasmine and Wisteria that are growing up this archway and we kind of guide it through so that flowers in the springtime bloom and it's beautiful. 
It's not that difficult. It's actually remarkably simple, and plants are so stupid that they actually follow the trellis that we give them. They have no brains. And when Scripture talks about us creating a trellis for our lives, it's actually talking about creating a rhythm for our lives. That we have experienced this morning that prayer is this answering the call of God, that he's pursuing me, that it's also an invitation to a dance, and I realize it has power, and now I'm gonna ask you to create a trellis where this love can now mature by disciplining itself in your life to where you can experience it. I love, there's a book uh, by a guy named Brother Lawrence. It was written a long time ago about unusual prayer and some saints and historians would say that Brother Lawrence knew more about prayer than any of us ever will. Listen to what he said. I decided I was never gonna be a good prayer. So I just, I'm just gonna start not being a good prayer. And I'm just gonna start to pray. In fact, I'm gonna create a trellis where I'm gonna be a horrible prayer. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Just a couple of things. One, would you make room, decide right now when and where are you gonna do this? Is it gonna be in the morning? Is it gonna be in the night? Is it gonna be at lunch? Is it gonna be during your break at work in the bathroom, behind the kitchen? It can be anywhere where you're gonna stop and I would encourage you to stop first and ask yourself, what's going on with you? Take a deep breath and just be present with yourself. Just be aware of what's going on in your heart, what's occupying your mind, just what's happening with you. Have you ever worked all day long and been super busy and you got to the end of the day and you realized that your head was hurting? And then as you thought about it, it's been hurting all day long, but I've been so busy I haven't even thought about it. We get so crazy busy, we get so disconnected from ourselves and from our souls that when God says, open up your mouth and I will fill it in Psalm 81, we don't know how to open our mouths for because we don't know what we're hungry for anymore. We don't know what we're thirsty for anymore. All we know is that I got a lot to do. And I'm living my, my life so much in the how that I've even forgot to answer the question why. So stop. Ask yourself, where are you? What's going on with you? And then I would encourage you to go to Psalms. I'll tell you why. Do you know that Psalms is our book of prayer? It's hard to learn how to pray. Because, you know, like, well, should I pray, you know, lay me down to sleep, give me something good to eat. Like, you know, the Psalms actually introduce us into having a pattern of prayer and a guide in prayer that allows us to come to the Lord kind of on tracks that have already been laid. And then after you have prayed a Psalm, not read a Psalm, but you pray a Psalm, just listen. Listen to what the Lord has for you. You may be able to do that in 30 seconds, five minutes, but I just encourage you to begin to learn and practice, create the trellis of spending a little bit more time being quiet, a little bit more time going slowly through a psalm, and a little bit more time listening what the Lord has for you. Then the Lord, I think, is going to introduce you to all kinds of prayers. Prayers of intercession, intercession prayers of spiritual warfare, prayers of worship, adoration, prayers of understanding, but you know, sometimes it just all starts with that simple trellis. Are you with me? Okay, so um, we often say this at Midtown, if you go to church, it's about over. But if you are the church, here we go. This is where the hard part of the sermon is, all right? 
When are you going to do that? And if you go, I ain't doing that. Great. I don't know, uh, but you might want to ask yourself why. And if you don't have the answer to that, come up to me and I'll help you find that answer. I will. All right? Because that's important. Because you're building a trellis of something in your life. And you're responding to something that you love in your life. And if you're not aware of that, then it will deal with you most of your life instead of you dealing with it. So let's pray. Then we're going to have the team come up and lead us in worship um, before we end our time together. Lord, would you bless us now, I pray. Guide our path. Holy Spirit, would you allow us to hear you knocking? Would you give us grace to answer? Would you give us courage as we walk into this room where the dance party has already started? You're interceding for us and you invite us to join you and that we'd experience the power. In Christ's name we pray, amen.